It's another Sunday night in comedy, and tonight we're talking to two of Canada's most sought-after new voices and a Second City veteran to find out who are the new faces shaking things up and how much has comedy changed in a post-pandemic world. I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go Inside the Joke. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to an all new Inside Jokes, baby! Right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, and of course, Streaming at you, coast-to-coast, Canada-wide, North America-wide, planet-Earth-wide on the Global News Radio Network. Brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical, helping you spot hecklers in the crowd since 1967. And guess what? Those are a thing again, because live shows are back! We are on the heels of festival season. We're heading into the fall. Galas are happening again. Tapings that that took place finally this summer are hitting the air. Things are happening, baby. We got Vince Tedesco on the pro- our producer on the line. How you doing, buddy? It's like every week your octane just gets that much more higher. I know. I've been doing this radio show from like a bomb shelter for the last year and a half now. Yeah. These I'm weekends are killing show. me. Summer's almost over, Dino. I know. I'm trying to really bring that energy. But it is, you know, we got, uh, so we have a couple of comics who were featured on John Doerr's stand-up special, the stand-up show with John Doerr, which huge gig for them uh yeah. also featured this year at new faces which you know with the return of jfl in montreal that's, that's awesome. yeah one of them killed it that weekend yeah. massive platform to get on for upcoming comics so we have two of these comics who are sort of these really talked about upcoming comics and a little later on the show we're also going to talk digital content and podcasting with second city second city veteran paul bates who has actually a very unique podcast that's the dubious podcast if you'd like to say podcast it's become sort of a cult hit and i'm gonna pick his brain on that too because that's the interesting thing about podcasting is you know there's the world is flooded with them but you can go so niche with these things and some of the bizarre concepts people come out with and it's the the (laughs) neatest thing so yeah vince what's uh what what we're looking like heading into the fall season you know traditionally this is sort of the runoff from wrapping up JFL and going into fall festival season and, and, and the new sort of regular yearly shows coming back and all that comedy bars open again, all the venues are opening again. It's so nice to see people back out, you know, comics back out on stage, people back out enjoying shows again, live shows again. Yeah. It is, it's like a very long spring. So <laughs> and we're, we're slowly be... approaching uh, our sixth season here. That's I mean, right. With sixth season and next week, Vincenzo, we hit the 300 mark, buddy. Episode, Episode 300. 300 next week. Tune in for that. That. Who would have thought, hey? I'm going to stab Dean in the back with a huge Sparta sword. Yeah. I don't want to miss that on social media. <laughs> I'm already out with a broken shoulder. Do your worst, buddy. Let's get rolling. All right. We got a good show right here on Inside Jokes, baby. Right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical. Helping you read Twitter troll comments more clearly. How about that? Because half of everything is still online. Like I said, we have a couple of comics who really have had a big year, especially this past year. Uh, Part of New Faces at JFL Montreal, which, by the way, that was such a 
an important moment to see that festival come back in its live form again after all of the craziness of the past year and a half. And also both of these comics were recently featured on the stand-up show with John Dorr. We have Al Val on the line. How are you doing, Al Val? I'm good, Dean. How are you? What a, this is what I was saying to you the other day. I messaged you about the show. And I mean, yeah, what a, what a year, honestly. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick your brain on some of this stuff, but it's been a huge year for you personally, just in your life, the last couple of years, really, just a lot of growth, a lot of sort of personal discovery, which obviously is going to flavor your comedy like crazy and really just completely change your sort of voice and, and viewpoint and persona on stage, which... People are noticing, Al. I mean, you you landed on, again, you were in New Faces this year. The crowd loved it. And then, of course, the stand-up show with John Doerr. So, I mean, a lot of change for you as a comic, too. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, a the whirlwind. Past three, a real whirlwind for Al Pal uh, the past three years. I, I'm going through changes. And, you know, I like to joke that nobody gave a crap about me until I threw on a wig and a dress. But it really represents a lot more than that. It's not just a superficial thing. And I think people kind of like how I'm just owning it. Which I, I mean, you know, one thing we kind of don't give audiences enough credit for, I think, in comedy is that audiences can read honesty instantly. Audiences can tell the genuine. So, I mean, when you, I mean, and yeah, you, you had already been at comedy for a while. You had already, you know, you've gotten club gigs and festivals and all that stuff. You've been at this for a bit. This isn't something that just happened. But when you did sort of bring forth this, side of yourself and your true self onto stage i think audiences can sense that right away the genuineness that a comic is really putting themselves out there and burying their soul on stage uh which i want to pivot over to cassie cow as well also featured on the stand-up show with john Dorr. cassie i sort of want to pick your brain on the same thing i mean this past year a lot of stuff that was happening in social politics a lot of stuff in pop culture for yourself as an asian canadian comic obviously there was a lot of stuff in the news that that Asian Canadians and Asian people we're dealing with. And we've talked to a few comics about that. Has, has a lot of the stuff this past year made your comedy more personal maybe than it was before? Do you feel this sense that you need to sort of address these things in your material on stage? Personally, I don't. I think that's a really personal question. I know a lot of other comics have. I personally, uh, first of all, I'm not much of a political comic anyway. No, so no. I think that would be a very like, weird shift for me to take suddenly. Um, but I actually think what's most important for like the current political climate and all that is just visibility. And I think it's really good to see comics that look different than you just talking about regular stuff. I feel like it's not necessarily good to just saturate all of the comics that might look like me talking specifically about one thing. So personally, I feel good just talking about what I talk about, what people already like from me. And if I'm getting more visibility from that, then that's better, I think. What I think is so true, too, because we're seeing and I mean, I'm sure COVID played into this as well, because you had all of these new sort of streams of content and all of these new audiences you're reaching out to because you're doing all this stuff from home. So you're getting a lot of people who maybe might not have gone out and watched live stand up before, but now they're seeing all this stuff on zoom and digital shows and tiktok and all that maybe after this they're going huh i never would have really gone out and watched this before but now i might so you access a new audience in a way but yeah visibility is huge for that because i mean now we're seeing in the last couple of years a lot of audiences coming out to festivals and coming out to tapings and even going here in toronto to comedy bar or wherever and watching stuff because finally they see comics on stage who represent them and who are talking to things that they can relate to instead of just the sort of stock 
tokenized shows that we did for so many years in this country. I mean, Al, for yourself, I mean, there's a very scant few comics that are talking about these things, comics that are transgender, comics that are addressing those day-to-day life issues on stage in their material. There really weren't a lot of people that you could even sort of follow that came before you as well. Yeah, I mean, if you can relate to my comedy, then seek help immediately. (laughs) (laughs) There are plenty of really funny transgender comics, especially in Canada, that I know of um, and I'm friends with, but... I think my my particular situation, I am caught in this in a very confusing space. And I like to be honest about how confusing it all tends to be. So I really try my best not to tokenize myself to Cassie's point. Like, I don't want to be just kind of uh, I don't want to be reduced to just a category. You know what I mean? And then and and the more you do that to yourself, the more people demand it of you. So you kind of restrict yourself and what you can talk about. So I'm trying to be very careful in balancing the personal with the stuff that people expect of you, if that makes any sense. It does, because I mean, that's sort of, that would be almost going in reverse, right? Because we do have a lot more diverse faces in comedy right now. We do have, finally, the industry is is greenlighting these shows and booking festivals in such a way and, and responding to things that audiences have been watching at shows here in Toronto and in Montreal and across the country. But yeah, to do so, to like sort of put yourselves in a box where you're like, I am this type of performer because I'm this. We would almost be going in reverse. I would be going back to, you know, the decades of comedy in this country where it was like, white guy sport coat, white guy sport coat, white guy sport coat. And then you might have like the token queer comic or the token such and such. And we're we're finally sort of moved past that. And I think a new generation of comedy audiences are responding to that. I also think what's nice about, uh, you know, talking about what you want to talk about is subverting expectations, I think is actually really good because I think what people already know to expect from you are honestly a lot of like tragedies and bad things that are happening, but you as a person that is actually experiencing that, you know best what actually is interesting to talk about, what you want other people to know about, whereas playing into those expectations really just like makes everything spin in a circle, you know? Yeah, and I think, and certainly more to come back from the break with, but I think for both of you, I mean, that's what you do as comics is you 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 can maybe address these things that are going on in real time and going on in the world. Um, but at the same time, we're sort of stuck in this bleak news cycle and there's all, you know, chaos and tragedy and da da da, da. The beautiful thing about being a comedian and the work of a comic is, yeah, you can maybe address those things, but you're taking the power out of it. You're being able to take a room full of people and go, stop worrying about this for 90 minutes. Let's all just take the silly out of this and take the power out of it and take the fear out of it and just decompress laugh. That's where we're all there to do regardless of what the subject matter is. But I, I do want to get on more sort of how your voices and how your writing has maybe changed during this crazy year and a half of pandemic. And of course the return of JFL and what that means. We're going to come back with more inside jokes right here on global news radio, 640 Toronto. listening to Inside Jokes on 640. I'm at the sock, and I don't know why I just did this. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, and of course... Coast to coast on the Global News Radio Network. We're talking new faces. We're talking 
festivals and live shows finally coming back. I know we aren't we aren't full circle. We aren't back to where we were entirely pre-pandemic, but it is so important to see these venues opening up again and so important to see these specials happening. And of course, I think the huge linchpin moment this summer was JFL Montreal coming back, which I mean, for both of you as comics, I mean, just for laughs, getting on just for laughs, going to that festival was always the huge, I mean, it's the biggest festival on the comedy festival on the planet, really. But I mean, it was, it was sort of like the figurehead comedy event of the calendar every year. Cause if you get booked on that, that's potentially a career maker. If you go to the festival, you get to meet all these comics that you normally maybe don't have access to. And it's sort of this giant comedians summer camp. I mean, Al, did you find it really sort of had that feel to it this year? I know obviously it's sort of half live, half digital. It's sort of a soft reopening is what we've been calling it. Yeah, it was it was kind of bittersweet in that way. Like this milestone that I've been working 14 years towards and finally achieved, it was an off year. It was like an asterisk year. We got these passes that normally would allow you into every show, every kind of schmoozy event, but it just said artist on it and, yeah. <laughs> it, didn't, and it didn't get us anywhere. It was performative. It was purely just for us to have to remember that I was artist in 2021. And so I didn't get that experience. So it is bittersweet in the sense that, uh, yes, I made it. Yes, it's that milestone. I can be proud of all of the, all of the, everything that I took to get there, but I missed out on these, these special moments, these marketing opportunities, if you want to think career-wise, but these sort of profound, oh my God, I'm standing, I'm talking with Dave Chappelle or, or whatever, yeah. whatever stories some of these comics have in their experience being at JFL and talking to their idols and their heroes and stuff like that. I think yes and no, though. I mean, for yourself and Cassie, like also doing, you know, the stand-up show with John Doerr, when this, when stuff like this is now coming back after a year and a half of the comedy industry basically being put on pause, I mean, there's been little underground shows and, you know, there's been, comics are crafty and resilient, if nothing else. So everybody sort of went into survival mode and found some ways to work within these parameters. But for the most part, the big industry stuff was entirely on pause for the last year and a half. So for yourselves to be chosen for shows like this, coming out of a pandemic and, and when things are really just starting again, I mean, yeah, you don't get the full scope of, you know, the, the audience that might've been there before and what the experience might've been like pre pandemic. But at the same time, the fact that the people in the industry are still seeking out both of you and going, these are the comics we need on this lineup after a year and a half, when everybody is chomping at the bit to do something that says something too, I think. Right. I mean, Al, I'll say I also thought it was a bummer to go to JFL this year and like not have all the parties going on at the Hilton and everything. But I also want to just assuage you like when I did New Faces the year before, I did not talk to any industry. I had a lot of panic attacks there and just like watching other people chat. So I don't feel like you missed out that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Tr I, I think it is true, though. I mean, for you, I, uh, here's here's what I'm curious about. So when you do did the taping with John Doerr, you know, again, for a, for a show of that of that size to come back after everything that's happened, and even just the shows that you have done since, I know here in Toronto things are slowly reopening. Comedy bars been back for a little bit. Things are coming back around again. Have you have you both noticed much change in comedy to audiences? Like, are people really raring to go and get out to live shows, or is there a hesitancy there? Like, what have you found wor working in front of crowds after all this? 
Uh, I think, in my experience, I think audi- like the audiences that choose to make it out to comedy shows are like the diehard hard fans. Like they're the people who are so jazzed to go out. So even like very small backyard shows, it'll sound like you're playing like a really big room. So it's been really supportive in my experience. Yeah, I would completely agree. I, I think even on top of the diehards who are easily the most eager to come out, there is still this general eagerness even among people who wouldn't declare themselves comedy fans, people who never really went to a stand-up show. Everybody's kind of chomping at the bit to get out and have an in-person experience again. We've all missed it so badly and craved it so much that people do come out to shows, which is refreshing. And we'll see how long that lasts before <laughs> they start to take that for granted and start skipping out. But um, it, it is really cool. People are just really excited to be back and and crowds are packed and they're very supportive and giving which is helpful when you forget most of your material (laughs) yeah well and i think it points to sort of the importance of it too i think a lot of comics especially early on in the pandemic when everything was just shutting down and nobody knew how long that was for or what this would ever look like coming out, out of the other side of it or anything like that but i think a lot of a lot of comics sort of started doubting the importance of all this i mean there's that for a lot of people that we talk to during the pandemic, there's a lot of people had that sort of feeling like, okay, nothing's happening right now. Does what we do really matter? Am I just a kid at the kitchen table with a pack of Crayolas? Like, will audiences come back? Is this really important? And what we are seeing, I mean, first off, we ended up in a much different place right now than we were a year ago, where comics had to figure out a way how to use all these online platforms and reach out to new audiences in that way. And at first it seemed like just sort of a panicky emergency measure, but now entirely new sort of platforms were born during this and entirely new audiences. And I think a lot of that stuff is still going to stick around even as, even as live shows come back too. I think it's going to be like, you know what JFL was this year. I think it's going to be a mix of both things for a while coming back from this. But I think we did, we did realize that, you know what, the audiences were right there waiting the whole time. And I think especially with everything that's gone on in the past year and a half, we remember how, how important comedy actually is, how much people actually need that. Well, I mean, Cassie, you were talking about you don't really delve into the political in your comedy. You go up on stage, you have your voice, you are you, and that's it, and audiences are there. Al, you've obviously, you've been, you've been sort of working, you've been working stuff out on stage as you go through this stuff in life. But at the same time, you still have the voice that you had before. I mean, you still have this off-the-walls energy, this absurdity to your comedy that was that was always there. What do you both as comics think is more important for audiences right now after all this do you think it's important to like, we have to address all of these things that have gone on? Or do you think people just really need some escapism right now? I mean, I think that's like a really personal question. I think it depends on what kind of comedian you are and what you feel like doing. But I think what's important for audiences is that they're not just tied to you, right? If even on a single show, they're not just coming to see you, they're going to see a diversity of like interests and and viewpoints and what 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 they think is like the best thing to give that night. So hopefully you get to go on a show that's well, uh, <laughs> that has a good lineup that gets you a little bit of a flavor of everything. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it's it depends on the person. I'm sure some people are probably sick of hearing anything to do with COVID. But at the same time, if you've got relatable material about this past this nightmare that we've all just survived, then yeah, if if it's relatable, people are going to connect with it and enjoy it. So 
I think uh, it really depends on the person, but everybody's just happy to be here again. So yeah. I don't know if anybody's really scrutinizing material quite yet. No, I think people are, yeah, you're right. People are just happy to be able to go back out and watch comics work with new material and comics are eager to just be out there actually doing it again. And I think, yeah, it's, it depends on the voice, of course. I mean, you know, a lot of comics might feel pressure that, okay, I have to address these things. I think that's sort of going to balance itself out. You will have those comics who that's their thing. That's what they already do. They go after that stuff that's happening in the news in real time. So they'll, they'll make their new 20 minutes about that. Then there's other comics who are just going to go up and do what they normally do and give audiences a break from this, you know, from Facebook and Twitter and this 24 hour news cycle that we've all been just sort of mired in. I was curious, did either of you find this, this sort of forced downtime, let's call it, uh, even though I'm, I know you both been busy. I mean, people are doing online stuff. You've been doing what shows do exist and all that. We're sort of coming back from it. Did either of you find it a difficult writing time? Cause I know for a lot of comics, it's sort of a catch 22 where if you're not out hitting the stage every night and working things out and just trying it out in front of live audiences, they find it difficult to write. But then on the flip side of the coin, it's like, well, we've just had a year of forced writing time. Did either of you find that difficult to sort of generate new ideas and, and generate new material during this? I mean, I definitely did. I don't know how how you did, but I like if there's no stage time, then I don't write any jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I I tend to my writing habit is atrocious. I write all my stuff out on uh, on stage. I just kind of improvise. I, it I do as well. It, I do as well. I write yeah. on stage. Like you know, you can't really work it. I don't. It feels like you don't know if it's gonna work or not if it's on paper. So you're like, whatever. I'll just wait until I get back on stage. Yeah. And like, Dean, you made this point that, I mean, I'm sure every comedian can relate to having like existential crisis after existential crisis every day. Like comedy (laughs) is very much our livelihood. But on top of that, you just sort of when it's stripped away from you, you're left wondering who you are. And I and I'm sure that's pretty universal, actually. Everybody who who was stripped of their livelihood and just kind of sat around all day, you have nothing else to do except talk to yourself about yourself, pretty much. So yeah. stand up uh, is also, I find like so immersive in that like it's not just your job, but it's also like a lot of your social circle and your network and your interests and your hobbies and like how you work ideas out and how you talk yeah. to people. Like once and it like honestly takes up a giant chunk of my day right so like I've had a really hard time with evenings just because like even if I am fulfilled and doing work during the day like I've been pretty lucky that I've still been able to do television work the 8 p.m to 2 a.m window like sucks like there's nothing that I want to do that's you know what I, I just want to go out and do stand-up I just that's what I want to be doing with my time it is so true I mean comedy it's in a lot of ways it's unlike anything else because it is such a lifestyle gig it is it's 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 not a job that you sort of step away from it's it's an all-encompassing as you said Cassie I mean it's your social circle it's your it's so tied up with your own identity and your own personality and your own idiosyncrasies it's sort of like I mean it's the you know it's the island of misfit toys I mean you work with these like-minded people who really I mean when you think about it you're like what else would I do this is just hardwired into who you are and to have to sort of like all of a sudden shut that off for a year and go now now what i mean it's such yeah you it's you you really spend every waking moment doing this when you're in comedy so i mean to take that time off and be like well now i can sit here and write but it's 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 tricky because it's such a part of who you are and i mean even even comics who have done you know who've done all online stuff during this and zoom and tiktok and da 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 all that 
it's really not, it's not the same. It's not, it's a placebo. It's not the same as getting out in front of that live audience and reading that room and riding that wave of energy. And as, as both of you are, are comics who sort of work your material out in real time as you're doing it, to not have that room and have that energy to feed off of it's sort of like, it's really, it's really hard to replace that. Yeah, especially you realize how you talk to yourself. And uh, I tend to be impossibly tough on myself and a terrible critic. So really, if you have no audience to test these jokes out and I'm testing them on me and literally everything I say to myself is like, that's garbage. You're garbage. You suck. <laughs> that's that was my audience for a year plus, And it can get very lonely and depressing. And I see the yeah, the demons of, of self-doubt sink in. But we won't end it on a on a bleak note. I really right. could. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I really, I really could pick both of your brains on this stuff all day. But again, I just want to say also, you know, considering what we've just come out of, congrats for having having the year that you've both had, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, this is just the start of things slowly but surely coming back. And but to, hey, to to kick off the return of JFL and and the calendar year in comedy with with some of these credits is fantastic. Before we do let you both go, uh, where of course can people find you both online and find your stuff? I'm on all social media at the Cassie Cow, or you can check my website, CassieCow.com. You can find me anywhere at Alval Comedy, and I also have a podcast called Podgis, P-O-D-G-I-S, anywhere you can find podcasts. Excellent. Cassie Cow, Alval, thank you both so much for joining us. It's just so good to see these festivals and live shows coming back, and comics like yourselves getting back to doing what you should be doing, and Getting back to being where you are meant to be and audiences, I'm sure, are hungry for it at this point. Thank you both so much. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Lewis Black and you're listening Inside Jokes, which is why it's funny, you idiot. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, right here on Global Blues Radio 640 Toronto, brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical, helping you stand six feet away from everyone you love. How about that? Uh, thank you again to Al Val and Cassie Cow, who are, of course, of course part of the return of JFL Montreal this summer and the stand-up show with John Doerr. Switching over now, we're going to get into a little bit of podcasting, which I know has been, uh, has sort of seen another another boom this past year because you have everyone on the planet stuck at home needing to distract themselves with anything but the news. We have Second City alum and podcaster Paul Bates on the line. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. Thriving. Thanks, Dean. Thriving even. Thriving in this pandemic. That's my rote answer when anyone asks me what's going on in the pandemic. Thriving. <laughs> Flourishing. Well, there was a while there where it was pretty, We especially if we were talking to comics in like New York or LA where, you know, even that question, how are you doing, was, became a very, wasn't just radio jargon anymore. It was a loaded actual question. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, it's tough. Like uh, I, you could see, you know, I, I went to, uh, in the middle of the summer of, of 2020, I, I went to an online wedding, which I don't recommend. And uh, it was, uh, uh, and there were guests from New York. And they were, their eyes looked dead as soon as you asked them, how's it going? And it was just like, you could see breath just escape them. They had nothing to say. They were stuck inside. I mean, we all felt it was bad, but New Yorkers were 
just trapped in their small apartments, you know? Which, by the way, I'm curious because we've all, everyone who's done this show in the past season and a half has sort of dipped their toes into, you know, online comedy and streaming and all that stuff. And, you know, to mixed reviews, mixed, mixed feelings about it. We've all been to Zoom meetings and Zoom parties at this point. Uh, how on earth does a Zoom wedding work? What does that look like? Well, at first it's like a show, right? Like you you tune in, you watch it live, you there's uh, the officiant is there, the couple is there, and it's lovely and you get to, you're just an observer, which is fantastic. But then uh, you're put into uh, breakout rooms on Zoom. You you log in, you're placed in a room. It's like winding up at a table with strangers and you have to introduce yeah. yourself. But then there's no you know, there's like you, you lack that you lack that in-person dynamic of who knows when to speak. Uh, everyone's talking over each other. Uh, it's, it's, but, oh. but what, what, the, what remains the same is you always try and find an excuse to leave where you are. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and that's what we did. We got out of there fairly quickly. It's like a forced, it's like a forced mingle, which is yeah. true. If you were at a real wedding, especially, you know, if you happen to go single or something, you always end up at the, that sort of table in the corner with like yeah. the, the weird black sheep cousin and Shelly from accounting and all that stuff. Yeah. The kids table I, at the back. Yeah, I think yeah. one one thing interesting socially that has come out of the pandemic is we're learning how to sort of Irish exit ourselves from Zoom parties too. That's a new, that's a new art form in itself. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I was curious to talk to you about podcasting because I know this past year, because people have been, you know, uh, literally a captive audience and people have been so so hungry for new online content, it's almost been this big boom again in podcasting where you know 10 years ago podcasting came along and every comic and their dog started podcasting and it and it sort of led to this spike in live stand-up where people went oh. it almost made comedy a thing to go watch again people were listening to podcasts to go oh, i want to go out and watch those people during the pandemic it sort of had the same effect where people sort of found all these new podcasts and this new audience came along you have an interesting concept for yours, by the way. If you can tell us a little bit about that, the the dubious book of famous deeds. What's this all about? Yeah, uh, the dubious book of famous deeds is, like you say, it was a podcast that kind of grew out of necessity because I had nothing to do. Um, it's based on uh, a 130 year old book I found lying in an alleyway near my house. I had found it like years before, and I picked it up. Um, because it's pretty. It's uh, It's got a beautiful red and gold cover. This thing is literally from 1889. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep this because if I put this on my coffee table, my wife and I will look erudite. Um, and, you know, we'll be able to just look at it and, and guests will be impressed. And, and then it just went and uh, got stuck in my bookshelf and I literally forgot about it. Then the pandemic happened. I was cleaning out my, my bookcase and I finally opened it up and read it. And it is, uh, oh, I, I never said the title of the book. It's called The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men. Oh, that is a beautiful men. looking book, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. Uh, so it's uh, it's got pictures, but it's also got lots of like really, really trumped up stories about people like 90% of these people I have never heard of in my life. So a lot of them are contemporary from the 1800s. And then there's also like passages about people in antiquity, but it didn't take long into reading this that I, I kind of figured out like a lot of this seems wrong or at least just <laughs> like really pumped up, like really romanticized. Uh, the language is super flowery because it's written at the height of the British empire. A lot of it is also pretty problematic and, um, uh, and it, it started to, you know, really fascinate me. And then I was like, oh, 
I guess I could read this to people and share it with the world. <laughs> Uh, and that's what I started doing. I started researching every chapter, finding the real story behind each person. Uh, and then each episode is me sharing a, a chapter with a guest, usually a, a funny friend or a comedian. Uh, and then together kind of tearing it apart and finding out the real story. Which I mean, that's I, that's that's one of the beautiful things about podcasting, I think, is, you know, it is really just this whole theater of the mind thing. I mean, we're looking at you on Zoom right now. You're at home. You have your home set up for recording and all that. And really all you need is just a, a good mic and a concept. I mean, you, people go, can go so niche with podcasts yep. and, you know, you can really just hone in on the, such an obscure specific thing and put it out there and there's an audience for it and people respond to it. It's really the only medium where you can really do that to that level. It's it, there's something for everyone out there. And it is, you know, like it, it's a bit of the Internet at its purest form. You know, everybody yeah. gets to share what interests them and what fascinates them. And yeah, I think it's great. It's like everybody gets their radio show now. It's fantastic. They really. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, right now we're in a time where audiences are there. Audiences are at home and they're just they're really looking for something new and engaging that they can sort of tap into uh all right we're gonna pick more of paul's brain about this podcast and and what it's all about we're gonna come back with more inside jokes right here on global news radio 640 toronto Hey, this is Roddy Colmer. And Jay Brody. And you are listening to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. Or the times they are changing. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We are talking to Second City alum and podcaster, Paul Bates, which by the way, so Paul, you were telling us about the concept behind this podcast, this book that you found. It sort of ties into an interesting conversation that's been happening a lot in the last couple of years in, in art and pop culture and comedy, where, you know, we're talking about art that hasn't necessarily aged well and certainly doesn't jive with, you know, a lot of the sweeping sort of social change of now and the social politics of now. And it, I mean, you're you di you're doing a podcast based on a book from the late 1800s. We're we're talking about even movies from 20, 25 years ago, where we go, okay, well, that doesn't really fly anymore. Mm -hmm. And the conversation that's happening a lot is, what do we do? Do we just accept it as art from its time? Because you can't rewrite everything, you can't edit everything, and just and just let it be. Or there's the you know there's the side of the coin where there's people out there who go just cancel it. It never happened. Erase right. history. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, and you can't you can't erase history and you can't deny history, but you can look at it, you know, with a with a fresh uh, perspective and, and you know and put it in the context that it needs to be put in. So uh, and so that's in a way what this is about. Like if I was just sharing this with no comment on what it was, you know, there's probably a lot of it that would come out a little offensive. I, mean, I don't think yeah. we've gotten there yet in the podcast, but there's definitely stuff, you know, like Britain's attitude towards uh, India, the jewel in the crown of the British empire at the time of this writing. Um, uh, and so uh, and so that deserves to be looked at and kind of laughed at in terms of just what the British thought of themselves, what the empire thought of themselves. Yeah. And I feel like it gives us power to kind of like speak truth to that power back then. And of course, the, the, 
the chasm of time that's, that's happened between the publishing of this book and now makes it easier to do it, right? Um, uh, but applying context to problematic stuff is, uh, is an easy way to get around it, I think. Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, you, you, you look at things in their historical context, you look at them for what, for what value they might've had at the time. And I mean, even, yeah, I mean, comedy and, and tastes and audience opinions and approval changes all the time. So, I mean, we can, and it's happening all the time now. I mean, there's sitcoms on Hulu that are five, 10 years old that people are going, Whoa, you can't put that in an episode. And you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing. I think, I think, you know, with certain exceptions, but you have to look at some of this stuff in the, in the lens of that, in the, in the guise of it just being a part of history and a snapshot of its particular time. And, and I think it's interesting what you do, because not only do you point that out, you have fun with that. You go, mm -hmm. wow, look at how, look at what the viewpoint was back then and, and, and share some of those stories at the same time. I like like part of it for me is like when I look at like old jokes that haven't aged well, it's like in a way it feels like good news that we have evolved a little bit and that we're a little more enlightened and that the audience is like, oh, that's I don't feel like laughing like that about that anymore. And so it kind of forces everybody, if you're a comedian or a writer or a performer or a producer, to kind of play to that intelligence, whereas we're yeah. always meant to be playing to the height of our audience's intelligence. And so it forces everybody to kind of move forward. And I think, I mean, yeah, and in, in, in art and comedy, I mean, it's all about sort of living in the now and, and you know, creating content and, and creating material based on the real time. I mean, right now, I'm sure there's lots of people who, who think that right now, this present time is the most sort of woke and self-righteous we've ever been in human history. And we're doing, we're finally doing everything right. And this is the best time now. 20 years from now, there's going to be people looking at a lot of the content from now going, whoa, what? What oh, was yeah. that? You oh, know. The, fu the future's going to come for us. There's no hiding. <laughs> <laughs> the future is going to come for us. But I love, uh, yeah, I just love that you, you know, it's almost kismet that you found this, you found this obscure book randomly and this entire podcast was, was born out of that. Yeah, it, it is a nice little happenstance. And honestly, if, if COVID hadn't happened, I don't think I've ever, I would have ever opened this, you know? Uh, so we also have the benefit of having that time to, uh, <laughs> to, to discover projects. To discover projects and create that new content. And do you, do you think that this past sort of year and a half and, and with everything pivoting over to online and of course yourself, you come from the second city background. I mean, live shows being mostly put on pause do you think that uh, that that this is going to be where a lot of the stuff goes to is just pivoting over to the digital? Do you see this as sort of another podcast renaissance again? I mean, I, I to a certain extent, yeah, for sure. I think so. I, I think uh, definitely more people that I know have uh, have turned back to podcasting because they have they need an outlet. You know, they need something to do just for their own creative juices. Um, uh, it's a good opportunity to get into it, and hopefully, uh, it'll show us uh, you know the path towards towards some you know new evolution of kind of digital online stuff. Like I know that online performance, live performance isn't quite there, but there have been huge leaps and strides. I thought Bo Burnham's uh, Netflix show was was really impressive. Of course, he had a Netflix budget behind him to do it, but uh, uh, but it does show you that, that we can create some sort of like new thing that's neither film and TV or live on stage that we can exploit and, uh, and, and find true entertainment, you know, value in. 
And I think it led to some great crossover art. And I think here in Canadian comedy, especially one, you know, if you can find positive side effects out of the pandemic, but I think one, one nice thing that has happened in, in just comedy culture is it sort of led to this crossover art and bridge this gap between, you know, especially yourself coming from second city. I mean, there was always sort of this divide between stand-up sketch and improv. It was these mm. different cliques, you know, and it was stand-ups especially were the guiltiest for being always this purist about, no, 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 I do stand-up and that's comedy. Everything else, is, you know, and now it's, people are working within the framework of everything and, and trying a bit of everything and making this mishmash of all of that happen and working with each other. I think it's forged more of a community and forged more of an eagerness, not even just a willingness, but an eagerness to sort of, dip your feet into everything and work within all those parameters. And I think we're going to see that become a huge change coming out of this too, which is beautiful. Uh, but Paul, we can pick your brain on this stuff all day, but of course, before we do wrap it up, where can people find this podcast and find you online? Good, sir. The dubious book of famous deeds is available anywhere. You get your podcast. It's part of the sonar network. You can go to the sonar network.com. I'm at Batespot9000 on Twitter and Instagram, and my podcast is at Famous Deeds on Twitter and at Famous.Deeds on Instagram. At Famous Deeds and at Famous.Deeds, and of course, yes, the Sonar Network. Paul, thank you so much. I love I love this concept, and I think whether it was intentional or not, it just totally ties in with a lot of the conversation that's happening right now in comedy, so it's almost like perfect timing. It's like the universe wanted you to find this book, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, I know. If anybody needs to blame the pandemic on someone, you can blame it on me. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Paul Bates, thank you so much, everybody. Make sure you tune into that podcast and check out what the Sonar Network is doing. Paul, stay safe. Thank, thank you for doing what you do. We will talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks a lot, Dean. That is our show. Thank you again to Al Val and Cassie Cow, part of this year's JFL Montreal, New Faces, and the, the John Doerr stand-up special. And, of course, Paul Bates. Check out the dubious book of famous deeds on the Sonar Network. That is our show. We will be back next week. And don't forget, you can stream all of our episodes right back to the beginning on Global News Online. 300, baby. Yeah. Hi, this is Alicia Carusi, and you're listening to my aunt, Sandra Carusi's Comedy Rx. This week's Comedy Rx features Cassie Cow. I wasn't raised in a very affectionate family. We're Chinese immigrants, right? And, um... I'm a girl, so I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't have very affectionate parents, but I do have good parents. Um, I think that they have very good priorities. They taught me all the big life lessons, right? Uh, like, for example, I remember when I was little and my friends, like, their parents were telling them to not do drugs. The only thing that my mom ever taught me was that drugs are like babies. The white ones are more expensive. <laughs> Uh, I love my parents a lot. I, I really, I really do like them. Um, I will just say when my contract comes up, I would like to upgrade to white parents. <laughs> <laughs>